Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Janita Stanton. We have Reginald Perryman and Shaka Williams. We are Tasari. This is the There's Something About Real Estate podcast where we talk all things real estate. And tonight we have a special guest with us, Roberta Socha. Hello. How are you today? Good. Thank you. How are you? Realtor, (laughs) appraiser. What'd you say? Realtor, appraiser by day and artist by night. That sounds fair. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thank you for having me. The only, person, the only appraiser that we talked to that wasn't scared to come on the show. The <laughs> only appraiser that told us the truth, too, yeah. without being nervous mm-hmm. or scared to tell it like it is. That's why she came. Right. I'm kind of known <laughs> for doing that. So. That's hey, good. that's why we got you here. Mm-hmm. My bluntness yep. and honesty uh, most of the time works in my favor, but not always. Yeah. I understand. Well, we're the people that like honesty. Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) All right. So tell us a little bit about your background. When did you get into real estate? I started in real estate in 1990 as the night and weekend secretary at a REMAX office my senior year of high school. Yes, I'm dating myself here. (laughs) Um, I was in administration, every role you could have in administration up until about 97. I got licensed. Okay. And I was a broker's assistant, and I was also... Went and got my uh, limited appraiser's license. That's what they called it back then. Right. Um, to start my appraisal apprenticeship. I was state licensed by 1999. Um, and by 98, 99, I went on my own in real estate sales. Right. Um, 2002, I went on my own in appraising. I broke off from the company I had been with for five years right. uh, with their blessings and uh, switched more to the real estate sales role. And by 2005, I was KW Lakeside's top producing individual agent while I was pregnant with my third son. Third child, I should say. He was a son. Um, (laughs) And then uh, 2007, I took a hiatus for a while. I still had my hand in real estate. I bought and rehabbed and rented out properties um, personally. And um, 2017, I came back into the business. And here I am. All right. Yeah. Nice. Now, you said something, uh, um, appraisal <clears throat> apprenticeship. I think a lot of, you know, people may not know what it took back then, especially, to get into being an appraiser. Yeah, I had to basically be um, a, a state licensed appraiser's shadow for at least two years. You had to log in over 2,000 hours underneath an appraiser, have everything logged in and then take additional classes and pass additional tests and so on and so forth. It's much more difficult than a realtor's license. Right now I'm working towards my certification because they changed the rules after the crash of 08. You used right. to only have three tiers of licensure, now you have four. Right. And because I got into the back into the business um, when I did 17, I wasn't really grandfathered. Um, any allowances there. Mm. So I'm having to redo everything all over again to become certified residential. But I'm about a little over um, two-thirds of the way there with my hours currently, so I'm hoping to be certified residential by the end of the year. Okay. Right. So how did... So let's see, realtor and appraiser and investor at a part... You're still investing now? Not currently. I'm just not in a position to do so. Right. I sold my last um, property in 2017. Okay. So how does that... How does the three... The realtor state side as well as the appraiser side, how does that work? And is there any benefits of being an appraiser and a realtor? I wouldn't... If you're already an appraiser, I think it's great. Right. Because both fields totally contribute to each other. Right. Um, I have a lot of knowledge that your average realtors won't have. And I also have a lot of knowledge that a lot of appraisers (laughs) won't have. Right. So, and not to mention, um, I've been hands-on in about a dozen rehabs. So I know construction pretty much inside now. Okay. Um, I was an FHA appraiser for about five years, but again, I have to reapply now after getting certified and going through this all over again. Um, So... I always say there's not much I don't know about residential real estate. Okay. I, don't, I don't know jack about commercial. That's and I don't. I stay away from commercial. It's not okay. my thing. <laughs> residential, inside and out. Okay. Um, so I know a lot of what goes on behind the scenes in both fields that right. people in the other field wouldn't be aware of. Right. So explain that residential. I mean the FHA appraisal piece. Um, mm-hmm. I used to. Uh, well, it, it's changed now how they manage it, but I was an FHA appraiser. Um, I believe I was 
approved right around 2000 or 2001. And I held that all the way up until I left the business again in 2007. Um, for FHA appraisals, we used to have what they called a VC sheet. It was basically a checklist that you had to take through the house if there was any trip hazards. Was there anything that was a health or safety concern about the property that the person or buyer was trying to get an FHA mortgage for? Right. So the house would have to pass these inspections. Um, peeling paint was always the big one. Trip yeah. hazards, whenever there's a gap of greater than half an inch between any two concrete slabs, that was considered a trip hazard. Um uh, peeling paint was like one of the number one that right. in handrails. I mean, okay. if there's one step, you need a handrail. Right. Um, and a lot of people back then didn't have handrails as often. So now nowadays they're more custom and standard. Um, but yeah, handrails, peeling paint, concrete, trip hazards, um, those were the predominant uh things I often cited as an right. FHA appraiser. And like roof, uh, the life expectancy mm -hmm. of the roof, yes. like three to five years. Yes, you had to it. have a certain amount of years left in the roof. And right. um, that one, I rarely cited that one. Okay. Um, but there were a couple times, but not that often. Be bad. Right. So that's pretty yeah. much the same as now, though, right? Mm. Pretty much, yeah. Um, uh, there's right. not a whole lot of differences. Um, mm. The way it's handled, though, is different now, and um, I haven't read up as much on that recently, so I wouldn't want to go and venture into that territory mm. because, as I said, I'm, I'm still just in a – I'm a state licensed appraiser. I'm not certified yet, so I'm not even able to apply for FHA until I'm certified. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So. All right. All right. So tell us – so we've been having some debates about um, – For well, let's, let's start here. Um, there's a market value of the home where consumers – perceive the value to be, but then there's the appraised value. And the reason I asked you about being a realtor and an appraiser, because sometimes we'll have an offer on the house, maybe there's 11 offers on a property, mm -hmm. and it's 10, 20,000 above asking. Mm -hmm. The appraiser is seeing that value completely different because they're basing it on recent sales, right? I wouldn't so, say they're seeing it differently. Okay. Um, they're their task that they're being assigned is different, has a different okay. intention. They are there to verify for, to the bank that the property is worth what the money is being lent on it for. Right. Okay. So they are approaching it from a different angle. Okay. I always say the appraisal, a house can be worth more than what it appraises for. Right. The appraiser is really just trying to demonstrate the value with their report and with their sales comparison analysis. Right. So um, I had a lot of problems last spring when we were seeing oh, yeah. a lot of properties <laughs> jump up in value and right. the, the bidding wars that were going on. Um, I felt like the jerk sometimes because I was I killed deals and right. um, it wasn't really up to me. It was a matter of even though I knew that house under the circumstances, say yeah. it was say it was listed at two hundred and it ended up selling at two fifty in the bidding war. Right. All the comps are, you know, one ninety to two twenty five. I can only do so much. And I can right. say yes, we're an appreciating market. I can bring it in on the high end of the indicated range, but the right. bank wants to see a value both unadjusted and adjusted that brackets that final sale price, if okay. that makes sense. Right. Um, that's the best way to explain it. So yeah, there was a number of times where I'm like, and, and I'm a realtor just as much as an appraiser, and I yeah. cringe because I'm like, I felt so bad because I'm like, I'm sorry, dude, I'm doing the best I can right. here, but my hands are tied. I ha We have rules that we have to abide by, the UA, um, uh, UAD standards and such. Okay. So um, my hands are really tied, but I would do the best I could right. um, because I did understand the circumstances. So right. even when I'm going to, when I go to list a property, this is a question I get asked a lot of, maybe I'll just dive in if that's okay. If yep, you'd like yep, to go in a different yep, direction, yeah. please say so. Um, right. But a lot of people will be like, well, when you go to list a property, how do you approach the pricing? Do you approach right. it as an appraiser or do you approach yeah. it as a realtor? <laughs> right. I say both. They're not mutually exclusive. Okay. Um, I first look at, yes, all the close comparable sales and um, everything else that's been going on with the market as far right. as pending and closed sales up to that moment. However, that's my first part of the configuration. The second part is nobody really looks at closed sales until after they put in an offer on a house. Yeah. Nobody deems which house they're going to go look at by looking at comps first. Right. It doesn't work that way. 
So I put myself into the buyer's shoes. The buyer mm -hmm. is going to have a price range and certain criteria that they're looking for. Right. So what I next I do is I look at what's active on the market. Mm -hmm. um, as we don't really pay much attention to expireds anymore like we used to. That used right. to be a big factor, but now it's irrelevant. So I look at everything that's active and pending on the market as well. Right. And, well, what are what is the buyer going to see when they go out in the price range that we're listing our house at? Right. How do we compete and compare? Um, I actually never print out a CMA. I never have for a listing appointment ever. Wow. I actually pull all of my comps ahead of time, go okay. through the photos. I print out the sheets. I make my notes about each property that I think are relevant. Mm -hmm. And then when we're sitting down and getting ready to talk about price, right. I pull out my laptop and put the screen in an angle that they can, the homeowners can see and that I can see. Right. And I walk them through the process. Is this oh, house, do you think, inferior or superior absolutely. to your property? Right. Show them the pictures. And then I've already had my notes highlighted on the sheet, so I know what to bring to their attention. Because, you know, you get nervous when you're at a listing presentation. Yeah. You forget things. Right. Um, so I, I do my best to make sure I make point out the key elements. Right. And 90% of the time, we end up totally agreeing on a sale price or um, um, asking price. I'm sorry. Right. So it, I lead them to the – I help tell a story. It's okay. more of a narrative is what I give to the people right. when we're, we're sitting down deciding on a sale price. Now, right. do I still get those people who say, okay, it looks like this house should be at 250 no ifs, ands, or buts, and then you get the seller who says, well, I want 300 <laughs> Yeah. You know, right. uh, there's nothing I can do about that. I, I right. can, my job is to give them the information to inform them, walk them through the process, help guide them so that they right. can make the best decisions for themselves. Now, they're going to make, at times, make decisions that I disagree with right. um, or I'm not on board with. However, as far as I'm concerned, I've done my duty as long as I've completely informed them of everything that's going on the market. Right. And what they make as far as their choice goes, that's their choice. And right. I'll do the best I can to support them in the process. I got a question. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so do you ever say, you, I'm an appraiser, you know that, right? So I know this isn't going to appraise at that dollar amount. Or I doubt very seriously that it will uh, based on whatever guidelines that you know. When I'm working with a seller, you mm -hmm. mean? Um, I I kind of do, but I wouldn't put it like that. Okay. <laughs> That's not how I would mm -hmm. word it. What right. I would do is I would bring to their attention that from a mortgage company's point of view, these are the comparables that the bank will be seeing when they bring out the appraiser. So if you do happen to sell that house at 300000 the one right. we're just discussing as an example, just be prepared that there's uh, it's very unlikely that the appraisal will come in unless we have some sales that transpire between now and then that would support that sale price. Mm -hmm. right. So I let them know you're kind of setting yourself up for failure here. And unless you think you're going to get a cash offer for 300000 um, there's a good chance that even if you get that offer, the deal could get killed by the mortgage company's appraisal. Yes, ma'am. Right. And okay. then not only that, too, just before you... Plus, I know, yeah, you're right. I know when yeah. to ask for an appraisal guarantee mm -hmm. and when not to. Yeah, because I was going to bring that up. Unless you find that buyer that's willing to do that, but mm -hmm. those are far few that are coming out of pocket. And yes. In the previous market, it was more likely. Yeah, but agreed. In all reality, the average buyer is only going to pay a certain amount above appraised value. There's too right. much uncertainty, I think, in the market right now. Last right. spring, um, it was totally different market than it is right now. Right. Um, but at this time, there's and it's, I know a lot of realtors hate to admit it. They just want to always look at the bright side of things. Say, well, <laughs> sometimes just looking at the bright side of things, you miss all the important facts that are right in front of your face. Right. Um, right. And one of those is the fact that there's a lot of uncertainty amongst yeah. buyers, sellers, investors, realtors, brokers, appraisers, right. mortgage companies, lenders. Everything is so uncertain and up in the air right now. Right. Um, and there's so it's so nuanced and there's so many factors that can dictate the way the market may or may not go. Right. So you are absolutely correct, though. Yeah. Today, right. in today's current market, you're not going to see a $50,000 appraisal waiver on a property. It's very highly unlikely. Right. And I would notify my client of that. Um, if that was the route they were choosing to take, right. I would let them know it's, you know, it's very unlikely. You're kind of shooting, you have better odds of, you know, winning the mega millions, <laughs> but we can give it a shot anyway. Somebody's got to right. win, right? Yep. Sometimes they just have to have patience with them until they get a taste of what's going on in the market. Oh, yeah, and I allow it. my sellers that if, if, you know, I've listed overpriced properties um, in the past and, but I let them know everything ahead time right. and I say okay well let's just revisit this every seven days after we get our feedback and our activity right. we'll review it and there are people are different um, 
Some people just need to go through the experience and feel it out for themselves, whereas others right. will look at the data and the facts and just, okay, they make all their decisions based off of that. Right. And other people, it's completely based on emotion, fears, um, past experiences, et cetera. Yeah. So the best we can do is inform them. All right. I want to talk about being in a, what you called an appreciating market. <laughs> yes. So if you're evaluating a property where the values haven't quite taken place yet, is that what you mean? Uh, no, an appreciating market is when the home prices are going up quickly, as they were last spring. Um, early last year, say a property that would have sold in January for 200000 was probably getting about 250000 by May. That's an appreciating market where the home values are going up very quickly, um, where you're seeing more than your average appreciation. Um, for example, most people would probably consider your average appreciation anywhere from, um, you know, 3 to 10% per year for in a standard regular market that's very balanced. However, when prices are appreciating much more quickly that, than that or at a higher rate like we saw last spring, right. things were going up like 20%, uh, 25% within months from the prior year. That's an appreciating market. Right. Okay. So we so, weren't just in a depreciating market. We were because we're we're pretty much in the same market now. So uh, right now, uh, I want to say because I've seen a change. I don't know if y'all seen a change. Uh, yeah, I've seen a change, change here. Right. I'm talking about like in like probably within the last thirty to forty five days. Yeah. Right. Versus maybe the last five months, four or five months. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, but I wouldn't. I don't. I don't know if you think that is. So I don't think that we were in a de depreciating market when we had that change about four or five months ago. Right. You saw no, we haven't last seen... quarter of 2022. Yeah, yeah we yeah. haven't yeah. seen any depreciation. Mm -hmm. But it was just slow. It was stable. It, it was stable, stable right? Yes. Which is, it was dead. Which is it, it was slow compared to what we were used to. Yeah. Correct. Which means stable <laughs> yes. in yes. a normal market. Which is normal. That's which what is I'm normal. Right. It, yes. Which is what I'm saying now. Because now, even though we're seeing an uptick, is is I would is not necessarily an appreciating market. No, we're still. in a stable market. Same currently. market. Right. I would say we we've uh, kind of flatlined. We're in a general mm. stable market at this time. Um, we haven't really seen any depreciating um, mark. We haven't seen any real depreciation since the crash. Mm -hmm. I would say um, things have were once the crash began to rebound. It rebounded very gradually over a number of years, and then everything kind of peaked when the interest rates hit very low. You know, right. hit below four percent. Um, it became so much easier for people to buy homes then at that time, and the right. prices were were lower than they are currently. And uh, it was much more feasible. However, with right. inflation shooting up and interest rates shooting up, right. that has had a huge impact on the market. I wouldn't say it's depreciating by any means. I would say right. it's more than anything, it's stabilizing. Right. Um, where will it go from there? I don't have that crystal ball. And right. there's too many factors at play there to make any type of predictions. So, so stable is so good. So I feel like it's the stable same. Fine. So I guess what I'm saying, yeah. so Janita was... So I know you're saying that it, you feel like it slowed down, and it definitely slowed down from He's the first. Huh? He's about in November. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely slowed down in comparison to the first two quarters. Yeah. Right, and maybe the first half of the third quarter, but I guess I'm saying it's still the same. We're in the same market now, even with the uptick that we were in in uh, November. Yes. Um, the, I, listen, I, well, I, I, what I'm I would saying, say is look at the um, one of the ways to determine if we are in a, an, an appreciating market or depreciating market or stable market is to look at months of inventory. Mm -hmm. There is a tab that you can look at on RealComp, um, which for those who don't know is a, um, the MLS service that most of us use, where you can type in the criteria and get the statistics for the months of inventory. Um, and unfortunately, though, the way it prints out is days, not yeah. months, which gets confusing. Right. Um, I pulled up um, when I taught a class recently at the office, I did right. a demonstration on this and I pulled up some areas and I said, well, right. let's take a look at the months of inventory. And of course, then it shows it in a number of days, which again mm -hmm. makes it confusing. Um, right. The standard is 30. Right. Uh, 30 to even even to 60, I would say, is a stable market. Right. When you're seeing less than one month of inventory, right. that's when you're typically in um, a seller's market or an appreciating market. Right. When the months of inventory hits three or 90 days, you are in more than likely a depreciating market or possibly stable. Um, but it's not 
and, and we also don't go by quarters mm -hmm. when it comes to mm -hmm. real estate appraising. Mm -hmm. We look at it yearly because Michigan is a seasonal market, mm -hmm. as right. odd as that sounds. We're not Florida. Yep. Um, nobody here in Michigan says, oh, honey, we just put away the Christmas tree before we celebrate New Year's. Let's go out and go look, put on our galoshes and go look at open houses. <laughs> okay. sure. Doesn't right. happen. We talked about Doesn't that. Doesn't happen. But so we have a real few buyers. Them the buyers, I like that do it anyway. Yeah. You I'm still have activity. <laughs> yeah, you still right. have activity during that time period. I always say that the dead zone in Michigan is the second week of November till the second week of February. Mm -hmm. um, in the end of January, everybody's getting their uh, W-2s in the mail. They're getting their taxes done. Yeah. So that's one of the things that's a precursor to the spring rush market is people getting um, tax returns and using those funds for down payments. Right. Um, not to mention the weather gets a heck of a lot better in yeah. April than it is in December in Michigan. Um, so we look at the year um, overall in averages. And whenever we look, I do look at a quarter, I look at it, I compare it, I don't compare it to the prior prior quarter, I compare it to the quarter a year ago. Yes, the um, quarter. Because we are such a seasonal market. Mm -hmm. so. 100%. But so, what, she, what, she, what she's saying is what I'm saying. So what, I, what, I, what I'm saying about the same market is we're not in a, so we were in an appreciating market up until about uh, maybe like May or June, right? Or 2022. Right. Yeah, last spring was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. We were in an appreciating right. market, yes. but then we went and, and we saw it slowly Stabilizing. Uh, stabilized into a stable market, which is where we were. We weren't in a depreciating market in November. We were still in a stable market. Correct. And we're still now, even though we're seeing an uptick, which is uh, we're an uptick from November, mm -hmm. not from last year's That's where I was, uh, yeah, yeah. February, I mean, uh, March. You're always going to see an uptick um, Correct. at this from time November. of year. Yeah, yeah, from November from this, to From November to mm -hmm. March or November till April. Every year, if you go back historically, you're going to see that shift. But so we but you're saying when did we say? Because I'm confused. I don't know who said we were in a depreciating market. But what I said, no, we're not. We're not. We're, we're not. not been been on, we haven't I, had a depreciating market since spring. Yeah, right. I haven't or been. since yeah. crash. So that's what I. I'm, yeah. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> so that's what I was saying. I don't know who said that part. But what I said about this past November and December mm -hmm. in particular was unusually slow. But it wasn't. But the numbers that's what we're it trying to yeah, decide. Yeah, it's stable. It, it last, wasn't. it was stable compared to what it's normally like during that time period. Because right. the prior winter, we were... We were still... And it, it was extraordinary. It, we right. were in an extraordinary market um, last um, one year ago at this mm -hmm. time. So you're, you're can, so what we're trying to clarify, because our audience needs some clarity. That's why I keep mentioning the actual year, because we don't mm -hmm. know when people are going to watch this. Mm -hmm. So... Um, last quarter 2022 compared to the last quarter 2021, 2021 was still appreciating. Correct. Mm -hmm. And 2022 was just stable. Stabilizing. Right. I would call it, I would, I would say it was stabilizing. Right. Yes, it was stabilizing because we saw such an extreme, extraordinary um, rush this right. past year. Um, with interest rates as low as they were, that, and I think that was a very large contributing factor. Right. Um, so... When you've been running a marathon and yeah. then you just go for a walk around the block, it seems extraordinarily slow. Right. But most people are just walking around the block every day. They're not running marathons. Right. So when you're used to a rush and then all of a sudden it stabilizes, yeah. it may feel like it's depreciating mm -hmm. or it right. may feel like the market is dropping. Mm -hmm. But that's only in comparison to what we've just been through. Right. If you look at it historically... No, we're just stabilizing. Most people same thing are with interest anyway. rates. Right. I mean, up until I yeah. mean, like I said, I've been in the business since 1990 in some way, shape, or form. Right. And um, up until the crash, the average interest rates yep. were seven to eight percent. Right. I can remember in 1994 when they hit nine percent for a brief period, yeah. and business kind of flatlined. People got kind of nervous. Um, we saw a bit of a stall in activity, but right. then it went back into the eights and things so that's what I was stabilized saying about out. This past no, twenty twenty two November and December, it felt more like that time. Yeah, and it yeah. and it did a stable normal market. <laughs> yeah. Me, so yeah. what happened was right in that quarter, the interest rates went to seven. Yeah, we had not seen seven yep. in a decade. Correct. And so people stopped. Like they really stopped right. for a minute, but buyers are um, what you call it. They get over stuff quickly. They still just right. ultimately, you know, they adjust quickly. I guess I would say buyers go by what they can afford. What is <clears> the yeah, they go by they what they can, they can afford. afford. But and and I think that the mindset also fairly quickly adjusts. So you had a lot of people during when it first happened. It was like, oh my god, what's happening? Mm -hmm. The interest rates are going sky high. 
the 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 ceiling and the clouds and the sky is falling. Mm-hmm. And people just were kind of like, we're not doing anything. And then as the weather broke, the income checks mm-hmm. come in. Mm-hmm. The rates have been in the between the six and the sevens for a few right. months now. Right. People are a bit more used to it. Mm-hmm. And so now the activity has started again. Yep. yep. But it was happening. Yeah. So, typical every year this year. That's what but she's I, saying. I think, too, what happened, too, those buyers that were searching at 4% rates, if they didn't buy a home and then rates went up to 6%, some of them people couldn't qualify mm-hmm. Exactly, anymore. Mm-hmm. exactly. Um, but I do want to ask you something. You you pointed out that appraisers look at year-over-year stats. Yes. So you would compare first quarter 2022 to first quarter 2023. In regards to mm-hmm. if to it's in a stable... To determine appreciation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Great. I mean, that makes sense, though. I mean, yeah. you can't, you can't, I mean, you have to, you have to compare January to January. You can't yeah. compare January to July. Exactly. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Right. Um, I, that's I, what I mean by we're in a seasonal market and yeah. we have to um, know, understand the nuances of what we should compare to. And that's right. my point that yes. I was making about right. the market. We're not, we're not in an appreciating market anymore. Right. We're um, not in the depreciating market. It's stable. It's stable. Yes. Right. The same way we've been in the, for the last five Six months. Yeah, for every appraisal longer. report I, I, I write for a mortgage company, um, since the crash, this is something that was added to the protocol um, at, uh, post-crash, I, we have to fill out a form. It's called your market conditions report, mm. which is basically analyzing right. trends, where I have to type in all the information, um, and it, it does just that. It mm-hmm. looks at it year to year, quarter to quarter, and so on and so forth. And then I have three options at the end of every single line. I check either depreciating, stable, or appreciating. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, or I should say, no, they don't. They call it declining, stable, or increasing right. on each section mm-hmm. of that analysis. Right. Um, most of what I'm checking now is almost always stable. Um, every once in a while, I, uh, some parts I may have increasing. Um, there are certain areas here in Metro Detroit that have always been very popular and high in demand. Um, and a lot of people have been asking me, oh, are those prices going to drop? I'm like, no, but you might have five <laughs> offers compared to 25. Mm-hmm. Right. That's going to be the big difference this yeah. spring. Um, some areas you're going to see the impact of, you know, the interest rates hitting harder, and that's going to be that first-time homebuyer bracket. Right. That's going to be a tough one this spring because there's not enough inventory, and people just, because the interest rate's going up, they can't right. qualify for more. Right. So, mm-hmm. I so, got, I want to say something, too. Uh, one thing I hate about, um, how the news reports things in the media, they'll say home sales are down, mm-hmm. but really they mean the number of sales. So they're talking units versus actual pricing. Mm-hmm. So do you do you get people that are confused about that as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yes. But like I said, whenever I sit down and talk to somebody, I create a narrative, and right. that narrative kind of lays it all out. Okay. And in regards to the market trends, um, right. I've never really had to have bring out a report on that yet, but okay. now that I'm thinking about that might be a good idea to do next time. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question about square footage. Go ahead. Uh-oh. Do... Yeah, this is a hot topic to right now. Uh-oh. Okay. So I was <laughs> just going to ask, like... from an appraisal standpoint, how do you ever consider square footage pricing? Like, do you look at, um, when you're looking at, the, when you're considering, like, the actives versus the pendings and the 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 actual solds in the area, do you ever consider the square footage pricing? No. Okay. I didn't think so. So not price per Yeah, I mean, I've heard it before that it's no, no that no. it's a no. No. The, um, the only time um, when I'm working on a report that I take into consideration cost per square foot is when I'm de- trying to determine the dollar amount to use as an adjustment for a vari- variation of square footage of more than 100 square feet. So, for example, if I'm comparing a house that's 1,000 square feet to a house that's 1,200 square feet, um, I need how much am I going to do per dollar? Mm-hmm. So here's the standard, I hate to say it, but I'll say it's a standard formula, right. is typically 25 to 35% of what the average of the square footage per comparable is. So let's say, for example, um, the comparables, you know, one is at $200 a square foot, one's at 210 a square foot, one's at 225 a square foot. I would probably say, okay, 210 divided by 3, it's $70. So then I would take that 200 um, uh, square foot difference and multiply it by that number, which would be $70, and nice. that would be my adjustment. We do not adjust it by a full dollar amount, um, even if they're going for an average of 210, 220. Banks don't want to see you to make an adjustment using the exact cost of something. They want the adjustments to be minimal and nominal 
um, they want them to be just that, an adjustment. Because mm. mm-hmm. you can mm. easily, if you use the full $200 per square foot, boy, you can really easily easy. have an extra forty <laughs> or $50,000 adjustment. Yeah, you could have some big, ugly. Yeah. yeah. That would be a big, ugly adjustment. That makes sense. Yes. So. So, Okay. This is what hey, bring wait, hold to, up. Yep. Everybody rewind mm-hmm. this, get your notepad and your calculator right. and do that. <laughs> They're going to need so, it for this. Yeah. So this, I, I, wanna, I want you to just describe that situation. Can you describe a scenario where uh, we have a four-bedroom mm-hmm. and uh, a three-bedroom versus, versus a three-bedroom? Right. Let's do that first. All right. So we don't uh, mix up the... the no uh, adjustment. No adjustment. Okay. Uh, uh, well, you, well, no. I mean, unless it's square footage difference, then correct. You're gonna do that. Correct. I, I okay. will not make um, the only time I ever make a bedroom adjustment is if it's uh, less than three bedrooms. Okay. Um, the subject or the comparables mm. um, compared to others that are. Mm. So let's say I'm I have a three bedroom house um, that I'm appraising. Uh, more than likely, I'm not even going to use a two bedroom comparable. But mm-hmm. let's just say that my one of my best comparables is one that was uh, say it was. Co- Three bedroom converted to a two, so it's mm-hmm. the same every way. They just removed a wall. Right. Um, in that case, I would make an adjustment for two bedroom compared to three because three bedroom is really the standard. Anything above that is um, personal preference, or um, right. you know, four bedroom versus three bedroom, two houses the exact same square footage. There's not going to be a price difference. Mm. Right. And, and what about for so, bathroom? Wait, hold there's on. There's a market. There's a there's a market, a, a market appreciation yeah, for it. Because I was going to ask you. Yeah. Now, if you put on your realtor cap and you're speaking to a buyer or seller, and you're looking at a three bedroom versus a four bedroom, do you think there's a market value difference? No. From what the consumer would pay for it? No. Okay. If she any adjustments would be made, it would be based on, based on the square footage. So I, 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 I feel like the account. answer is still coming from an appraisal standpoint because we see all the time when we get, you know, people searching in the market. Right. The the desire for an additional four bedroom. The problem is you can't you can't put a number on it. So you yeah. have to go from an appraisal standpoint because that's the only one that actually matters, right? It, yeah, if you were to do a market um, an ex- market uh, analysis with an extraction trying to figure out if there was a price difference, you won't find a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do have some people who, yeah, you're right, want the four bedrooms. However, families today typically are smaller than they have been historically. Right. And most people don't have five kids or um, grandma and grandpa living with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they do, they typically either add on or they finish off a basement space and install an egress mm-hmm. window or something along those lines. And especially in regards to home offices, most of the three-bedroom homes, um, if they're newer built homes, are going to have a den downstairs anyway, and that would be used for that home office purpose. Um, So you really don't see, if you were to try to extract it, you wouldn't be able to, I I would be shocked if you could find any dollar difference between a three-bedroom and a four-bedroom home in most markets. All right, so I want to, because we got investors listening to the show too, so I want to break this down for some investors. Go ahead. So I have investors that are renovating properties, and maybe they have a three-bedroom, and then there's an additional uh, third-floor unfinished attic, and they're like, I'm going to make this into a bedroom, and they're probably going to spend twenty five to 30000 finishing that into a bedroom. Now, from some buyers would love that, Right, because they have the extra finished space, but from an appraisal standpoint, it would just increase not, the square footage. That's it. So you're right. not gonna get that full. But if you not guaranteed to get that full right. amount back, you're, you're most likely not gonna get it. All right, that's why I, I just wanted to say that because I'm gonna send this clip to everybody. You know, because <laughs> well, well, one thing I'd like to point out is construction. At least last year, I think most people were saying your average dollar per square foot to construct a new home was give or take $150 a square mm-hmm. foot. Right. If you have a neighborhood where the homes are selling for an average of 225 a square foot to 250 a square foot, in that case, it makes perfect sense to do so. You'll mm-hmm. come out ahead. But right. don't think of it from the bedroom point of view. Think of it from the square, square footage, footage point of view okay. is what you want to really think about. Right. And another thing to think about is they made some big changes with measurement standards last spring. Okay. ANSI, A-N-S-I, is the um, uh, standards that we have to go by. Right. Any part of a level that's below grade is now considered a basement. So now a quad level has basically two basements. A tri-level has two levels and a basement. Mm. 
Um, another yeah. th- cha- big change they made is that, um, and this is really important when it comes to bungalows. Right. Every um, you cannot consider the area any area that has lower than a five foot ceiling height. Mm-hmm. So when you so have that means, bungalow yeah. where it goes all the way to the floor, right? And say, and normally this is in a closet, right? Right. Most nine times out of ten, we use those areas as closets. You have to stop at the point where it's five feet from the floor to the ceiling. Mm-hmm. When you measure it for square footage. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And mm-hmm. they are very particular about this. Um, I've also seen some people finish attics upstairs and, um, you know, some people have a walk right. up a unfinished attic in a bungalow. Um, uh, ceiling height. Oh, shoot. I'm, I'm going to kick myself. I believe it's seven feet. You have to have right. a minimum of seven feet for ceiling height. So I've seen some houses now that have a finished upstairs and... It can't be counted mm. because uh, one in particular, somebody had me go look at when an agent or office was listing property. And had, he's like, they finished the attic after they bought it. <laughs> I want you to go measure the square footage. Right. All right. I go over there and I get upstairs. And I'm like, this ceiling is really low. Sure enough, I pull up my tape measure. There was no point where it's higher than six and a half feet. Wow. That whole upstairs does not count in the GLA, growth <laughs> living area, or your square footage. Wow. They can't yeah. even get a straight back like a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> I, got a qu- I got a question, right? Because um, swimming pools, above ground, in ground, does it matter? How does FHA feel about them? What is the value add? Just okay. your whole above, take on okay. swim- Above ground swimming pools are considered personal property, not real estate. Okay. So no adjustment is made for an above ground pool. All right. However, an in-ground pool is uh, an improvement to the property. It's literally dug into the ground and typically done in either gunite, um, vinyl liner, or um, the fiberglass drop-in formed pools. Uh, You have to do a lot of digging. You have to have mechanicals separate, everything else. So above-ground pools, they do not make an adjustment either way. It's it's considered personal property. You know, consider one of those put-up pools that you put up in the spring and dig down the fall. Even if it's one of those big fancy ones, no value. However, you do get people who are buying just for the pool. Yeah. And that's yeah. fine. Those people will look at just the pools. So it's a matter of just a smaller market. Now, when it comes to in-ground pools, it can go any which way. And let me explain why. All right. If you have a house, let's say um, in Warren, where your standard lot size is 60 by 120, you've got your standard 1,200, 1,400 square foot brick ranch. Right. And you have this little backyard and it's all concrete and a pool. Okay. <laughs> We've seen, we've all seen this house, right? right. We've all right. seen this house. Yeah. Um, in that case, is it a bonus or not? Well, first thing I would do is go to find, try to find three comparables that are the exact same way. Um, I try not to make that adjustment if I don't have to, because it's an ugly one. You really can't say necessarily, because for one, there's a huge different cost in different types of pools. Is it a gunite pool from the 1960s? Well, if it is, you're going to have to have a new fiberglass one dropped in or have the gunite redone at some point in time, because the gunite, the way it was made back then, it, it had a life expectancy. It wasn't meant to last forever. So in that case, it could actually be a detriment. Um, and if it takes up your entire backyard, right. it could be a detriment. Some people say, I, I got dogs. I want them to have grass to run around in, and I don't want them just running right. around on cement. And also, there's the fear of kids and animals falling in, and there's also liabilities there right. when it comes to a pool. So when it comes to pools, you really have what I call a pool buyer, somebody who will literally buy the house just for the pool. And, you know, fix the house up accordingly <laughs> because like the fiberglass and the new gunite pools, I mean, you can easily spend 75000 a 100000 on up for those pools versus a typical inexpensive liner in-ground pool. You know, you can do those for probably around ten to $15,000. Right. Um, and if you fill them, the vinyl ones, if you fill them in with dirt, it's no big deal. But the gunite ones, you're not pulling that sucker out. Most people just fill it with dirt and go from there. Right. Um, but then you always have that structure there under the ground. So if you're ever going to do anything with that land in that space, you're going to have to at some point knock it up, you know, break it up and mm. take it out. Right. Bring in the big machinery, right? So, um, and not only that, but another thing to consider is we're Michigan. We're not Florida. Right. That pool is only usable three months out of 12 months of the year. By all means, it's technically considered a functional um, obsolescence for our house in Michigan because, again, we are a seasonal market and we don't have 80-degree weather all year round. We're lucky if we get it for two and a half months. Right. So th- the cost to maintain a pool and take care of it, close it up, reopen it, all the above could be considered um, obsolescences. 
uh, meaning deterrent um, from value. So, but when you get into the higher end market with bigger, uh, where homes have bigger lots, okay. Right. So you get into the home market where you have the seven hundred, eight hundred million dollar homes who are on a half acre or an acre lot. Right. Then it's a bonus hmm. um, because in that price mark a bracket, it is more popular to have those types of amenities. Um, if you have those big large homes, people do a lot of entertaining, or they have a lot of kids or family. You know, having that four-car garage and having the nice um, in-ground pool in the backyard with the nice lighting and the hot tub and, you know, the dangling right. lights all above it and everything yeah. else is considered a bonus. Um, typically, I try not to ever compare an uh, in-ground pool house to one that doesn't. And even when if my best comparable is a house with a pool, my subject does not, I do everything I can to avoid using that comp. Right. Um, because again, they are extremely expensive, especially the fiberglass and the gunite pools, and not to mention the cost of electricity to maintain all that. Right. It yep, takes a one. lot. <laughs> so you're saying so if you have that, that you would have to, if you had to use that to compare, you would have to. And then I would, then I would have to, I would make an adjustment. Okay. Um, I would say, and it really depends on the price bracket that hmm. the house is in mm -hmm. as to how big and of an adjustment I'd make. Uh, um, and I'd also consider how much yard space do they have outside of the pool? Mm. You know, do you still have, if you have a half acre lot, right. the pool's not taking up much valuable real estate. If you have a 60 by 120 lot in Warren, it's taking up a lot of real estate. Right. I have a question so, go ahead. about a swimming, is a swimming pond offer or take away any value or is it the same as a pool? By swimming pond, do you mean uh, define a swimming pond? <laughs> Where people, so I'll You mean like a natural, like a natural water source in the back? <clears throat> yep. Like I know people who have a place out in Brighton. Right. And they install, they have like, you know, like you said, it's a lot of land, probably acres of land, right. large house, yep. million dollar house. Got it. And they added a swimming pond. So, mm -hmm. you know, they probably, they dug it out. With that uh, does it have water filtration? I believe it does. Okay. Um, it depends. It depends on how large it is. It depends on how large the property is. It depends on how nice the, the um, pond is. Um, I have friends who live out in, um, near Fairhaven, and, yeah, they have five acres, and they have a huge pond, and it has multiple fountains, and they treat it, and they take care of it, and half of it has a sand beach. They yeah, have sand exactly. brought in. Yep. Right. So, I mean, it's not a funky pond. Yeah, <laughs> right. There's a big it's difference nice. between a stagnant, funky pond and right. a, a well-cared-for one. In, in their case, because of everything they've done, I mean, they even have a deep end and um, a diving board. So in that case, it's going to be a contributing factor. It's gotcha. on five acres and such. How much would I give for it? Oh, it depends on, again, how nice is the pond, how large is right. it, and so on. So you're probably not going to get what you spent on it back in um, value. Um, in, depends in, on what you spend on it. I mean, yeah. for if a nice one. If, well, you, if you're a builder and you have your own backhoe, right, you can do right, it pretty right. darn cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me tell you. Yeah, so, Shaka, because yeah. I need but a swimming it, pond it, it on my be, acres. It wouldn't <laughs> make sense for someone to that had maybe like one of the smaller homes to two hundred thousand, and they spent what seventy grand to have a pool installed. They're never going to see that correct value back. No, right? No, ignore my no. swimming pond. No. Well, the swimming pond too. Right? <laughs> well, uh, no, I just see that. Uh, and I do. He's right. Like I have to get you out to my house because I have a unique house, farmhouse on a couple acres, mm -hmm. and I need to see, you know, what I should be doing for improvement. I'm considering just bulldog. They'll be so mad at me. Well, if I when, bull, bulldoze the whole house and just no, <laughs> don't do it. She's telling you no right now. No, yeah. what she's talking about is to change it to, oh, to a different to a condo, to like Yeah, she, oh, she, she got a haunted house out in Taylor, <laughs> and she keep trying to tear stuff down. I'm telling her stop before they get you. Because <laughs> no, she, she can turn that into a, a different yeah. uh, space. Well, sometimes though, those ponds are necessary in certain areas where maybe the mm -hmm. groundwater has nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. um, like some areas in northern Macomb have a lot of clay content. So oh, um, yeah. in the spring, and it rains, and I know this because I had a farmhouse out there in okay. northwest right. Macomb before, and I had a lot of clay soil around my around my house, and. Um, in the spring when it would rain, there was standing water everywhere, right. everywhere. Um, it was really bad. I, admittedly, though, I loved to listen to the frogs in the spring. It was the most beautiful sound ever. But the mosquitoes it brought and the bugs and the standing water, it was a nightmare. So in a case like that, if you have somebody come in with a bulldozer or, you know, the, a backhoe and they um, grade the land so that 
all this standing water goes into a pond, right. that would benefit the property. Um, I'm not going to make an adjustment for it, but in that case, it's kind of actually needed. Okay. Um, it, it's almost as if if it, they didn't have that done, it would have a negative impact. So it's almost like an saying? improvement. Um, like a, a necessary, necessary improvement. improvement. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Right. So. All right. Did we get all of our appraisals? We talked about square footage. We, we, we got a lot. We, we got to come back. We'll we, we, we do another show one day. Yeah, but <laughs> there's a few other things. So we talked about um, adjustments. So the adjustments for square footage, pools, and everything. But all adjustments are not equal because you're basing it on the area, I think you mentioned as well, right? Correct. It's nuanced. Right. Yeah, there's multiple factors that are going to contribute to it. Right. Um, like the dollar per square foot in some areas is going to be much higher than others. Right. Um, same thing for like a bathroom count. Right. Um, if I'm dealing with, a, say, a fifty dollars to a $75,000 house and one has just one bathroom the next house has uh two bathrooms one on you know on the main floor i'm not, I'm not going into the basement count yet right um in a 50 to seventy-five thousand dollar market i'm probably only going to make an adjustment of about three thousand dollars for the additional bathroom okay however you get to royal oak you have a, yeah. a one bungalow that has the typical first floor bathroom right. you have another bungalow that has a has, they've added a second floor bathroom right. that's going to be um Probably, I'm going to make it a five to ten thousand dollar adjustment at least, um, depending on how nice the bathroom is done and right. how well it's um, designed. You hear that, everybody? I need I need everybody to listen to that because and they if you have a Royal Oak bungalow, put mm -hmm. the bath upstairs first before you do it in the basement. The basement bathroom is does contribute to value, however, not as much as a bathroom above grade. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, Go ahead. That that adjustment. So you said five to ten versus a three thousand. But she said in Royal Oak, though. Well, I'm yeah, saying yeah, I'm, is yeah, that saying because that of the property value? So you said because it wouldn't make if it's a fifty thousand or eighty thousand dollar home, you wouldn't. It wouldn't make sense to making a ten thousand. Exactly, you're getting what I'm saying, right? right. It's okay. market. It's market. Um, all the adjustment amounts are typically market derived. Okay, we take a look at how. What's going on in that specific market? Right. Um, you know, some of the higher end, higher end homes, like especially once you get over the five hundred thousand dollar market. Right. Um, you know, there's been times where I've probably hit. Um, I think one time I hit a bathroom for like twenty thousand because it was it, they had an extra bathroom compared to right. the comps, but it was extraordinary. Mm, right. um, I mean, it, they probably spent fifty grand on this right. bathroom. So um, same thing goes for finished basements. Right. That's another big question I get a lot. And it, I mean, they, they all, mm -hmm. it, it depends. Yeah. <laughs> it depends. I've seen extraordinary basements. Um, okay. Before the crash, I'll never forget this one condo um, I appraised. It was an attached high-end condo in Clinton Township. Okay. And uh, it had a large basement. It was right. like a 2,500 square foot condo. So at the time, it was like a two hundred dollars to $300,000 price range. They spent right. 75000 finishing their basement. Right. They had a beautiful oak bar with brass rails. They had a sauna. They had a steam right. room. They had um, a bar that was just better than most people would ever put in their house upstairs, let alone in a basement. And it wasn't even a daylight basement. It was a standard, regular wow. basement. And they went to go get a refinance, <laughs> and I got chosen as the appraiser for the refi appraisal. And they were literally expecting to get dollar for dollar out mm -hmm. of that. Right. And not only that, they had only lived there a couple of years, and at that time, we were in a stable market. It, right. We weren't seeing extraordinary appreciation. So I ended up appraising it, if I'm, I'm going guesstimate here, but I want to say it was probably only like 20000 or, or twenty to 50000 more than what they paid for it, and they were pissed. Right. Um, I, had to got a, I got a call from the lender on that, and I'm like, listen, <laughs> especially it's a condo. Right. We have to use apples to apples, oranges to oranges. Mm, right. And this is the absolute highest price that's sold in that neighborhood is this. And I even went above that mm, in my right. appraisal because I said the subject is superior to the highest comparable mm. sale. Right. But nowadays that wouldn't fly, just so you know. But mm. it did fly back then um, because I demonstrated my reasoning for it. Um, right. They did have this extraordinary basement. It did contribute to overall marketability appeal, and it did increase the value of that condo, but not 75000 Right. But you said nowadays it wouldn't apply, meaning that... Extraordinary. It, they, it, I, I actually just did a report with this. Um, okay. I appraised a property um, 
uh, in a subdivision, um, standard pretty much sub that was built in the early 70s where you have the ranch, colonials, tri-levels, and quad levels, um, right. standard size lots, right? And um, the comparable I had or the property I had to appraise was superior to all the comps in the neighborhood that have sold. Right. Um, and I did bring it in higher than any of the comps had sold for. And I thought I did a really good job explaining it. I did lots of photos, explained everything out in the report. Sure enough, they came back with revision requests. And they're like, we need a higher comp. You have to show us something that sold for above what you're praising this house for, right. um, period. I mean, it wasn't mm. an ask. It was a you must. Right. So I ended up having to use a colonial, um, even though it was larger. But right. it had sold for a lot more, and I ended up making it work. But otherwise, that appraisal report may have been very well denied by the lender just because I couldn't find anything or um, another property in that neighborhood that right. had sold for higher than, you know. Um, uh, yeah, I was appraising the house for higher than the highest sale. Mm -hmm. Right. So they do not like to see that. They want right. it. They want the price bracketed. Period. Median. So um, you have to have something they sold for higher right. than what you're appraising the property for. So that's it. I want to. I want to ask one last question, and then y'all can have her. Dang, I forgot it. Um, oh no. So we're talking about the. So you just said you had to use that the house that you. Uh, that was a condo. The last one I was just talking about was it was a ranch. A ranch, but it was a ranch, and I ended up you, having to use a colonial, colonial because I had because none of the ranches in that neighborhood mm -hmm. had sold for as much as what this one sold for because it was superior in condition. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, it's a '70s house, so you know some right. of them. The other comparables, this property had been completely remodeled and updated throughout, and had a finished basement and everything else. The other uh, properties that had sold in that neighborhood were all probably still. Best case scenario, you'd say they were updated, right. but not really remodeled. So they were in inferior condition. So okay. I knew the subject property was, and plus it was a sale. So, right. and it sold really quick within days of going on the market. Okay. So I had no doubt that home was worth what it, um, what it sold for. Right. But trying to demonstrate it to a bank, they want to see the price bracketed. They mm -hmm. want to see something that sold for more than it and something that sold for less than that mm -hmm. and something right around that. Mm -hmm. um, however, all my comps were really inferior and so they said, well, in order for this to fly, we need something in that neighborhood that sold for more than, you know, the comparables I'd already chosen. So I ended up using a colonial that was similar in functional utility, same number of bedrooms, bathrooms. Um, it was a little bit larger, uh, but not too much so mm -hmm. for um, to cause any red flags. And they bought it and it flew. So. Right. so that brings me to my question. How often do you run into a situation where you use a different style of house, um, i.e. a ranch and a colonial, as comps? Not very often. Mm -hmm. I it's got to my... be a very, very special service. Yes, uh, yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, say, you know, there are those neighborhoods where um, uh, buys, tries, and quads are extremely rare. Mm -hmm. um, in those cases... Uh, yeah, I would go with another style home, or especially if you get out to the country, mm -hmm. um, more rural areas yeah. where the density is, you know, mm -hmm. very low. Right. Those in those cases, yeah. Um, I remember when I sold my farmhouse, I, I got to see the appraisal, and uh, the appraiser, my farmhouse was 150 years old. It was right. built in 1870, um, and the appraiser, and this was an FHA appraisal too. They're right. FHA buyers. He actually compared the house to brand new construction in the area. For one, my farmhouse was all redone, and right. most of the farmhouses in the area weren't at that time. Um, again, this was, you know, six years ago right. when the real estate market hadn't really recovered yet. There was still very limited activity. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had to do it. It depends on the market and where you're at. Right. Um, but if I have a bungalow in Royal Oak, there's no way I'm going to use anything other than yeah, another bungalow because exactly. <laughs> you got it. Exactly. But you, exactly. Got you had the same right. thing happen. So that just happened with me in okay. November. Okay. Same thing. I have a 200-year-old house, but I had new uh, new construction. Compared. A, a they they used new, con, mm -hmm. new uh, construction comparables. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, there is a time and a place to do that. So do so. you, so in a situation, let's say you're in a city, so you're not in the, in the country, and then you're in a city where, uh, i.e., let's say somewhere in Southfield, and okay. there's a lot of ranches. Right. Right? Um no, there's not a lot of uh, ranches right. or whatever. It's not a lot of what we're looking for, right? Okay. Do you go out further? Um, typically, what I would probably do, um, let's say, let's use like a quad level mm -hmm. for an example because there, there's not a whole lot of those. Mm -hmm. um, 
you can sometimes, if I have a unique style home that is, I would say, one of the lesser desirable styles, okay, right. that's, we're in Michigan. Everybody wants a ranch or a bungalow or a colonial first. The buys, tries, and quads come last. Right. Um, if I'm appraising a quad, I'm going to try to use any buys, tries, or quads. Um, I try not to use a ranch or colonial, and if I have to, I'll typically choose one that's on a slab. Totally. And sometimes, yes, I will go over a mile. I may choose another quad in what we would refer to as a nearby competing neighborhood mm -hmm. that is um, con that is uh, in the same market as my subject's neighborhood. Because um, right. you can do that. You just Warren is another good example. Just like right. Southfield, you have those neighborhoods where. Um, uh, you have one identical neighborhood right here at 12 and Shaner, and then you got the exact, I mean, literally it looks like the exact same picture, uh, same neighborhood over at uh, 13 and Ryan. Right. I'm just throwing yeah. mm -hmm. But it's more than a mile, but it's the same it's kind the of same, market. Yes. Okay. We call it a nearby competing neighborhood. Okay. Um, where basically the buyer would be looking at both of the neighborhoods. Uh, if a buyer was to look, be looking for a quad, um, they would look in both of those neighborhoods would be on their agenda to right. see your purchase. What about crossing a freeway? Um, that, that is more of an underwriter pet peeve than okay. anything. I, sometimes it's relevant and sometimes it's not. Right. Um, you go into Warren right around 11 and Van Dyke. Yeah, is there a big change? Cross, no. Between over really. 696? No. No. There's not. As yep. long as you stay in the same school district. There's, right. you can have the exact same bridge ranch on one side, sell for the exact same price on the, on the other side. Right. So there are times when it's relevant because one side of the expressway may be a completely different neighborhood or market. Right. Um, versus other times it's not. But right. I will say that that is an underwriting red flag I've um, discovered since coming back into the business. Um, that used to not be an issue. Hmm. You know, I would just say nearby competing neighborhood. But now it, it, the underwriters look at the map, and if they see a big highway, <laughs> they yeah, raise so, an eyebrow and sometimes will ask for an additional comp or right. explanation. But. That used to be a thing back in the day. So when I'm l looking at things, I still use, like, some of my old stuff that I got from appraisers, which was... The expressways, railroads, body of waters, and parks. You want to stay on the same side of these I disagree. items. Yeah, yeah I disagree on that. Um, uh, I think it more has to do with proximity. And um, is the park might be really close to you, but is it a private park? Or are only residents of one certain neighborhood allowed mm -hmm. to use it? Um, you may have water nearby, but maybe you have absolutely no views of it nor access to it and you're for six miles. Um, so it varies. Uh, railroad tracks, in some areas and some markets, are an impact. Other areas, they're not. Mm -hmm. Royal Oak and um, Birmingham, they um, there's very few pockets where it impacts the value. Um, if it's right in your backyard, yeah, it's going to impact your value. Um, are you a couple blocks away from it? No. Yeah, you're more so talking about how those things impact the neighborhood. So like Wyandotte, you're pretty much saying if there's a railroad going through the neighborhood, it's not a big deal because you expect that in Wyandotte. Right? Well, it depends on the market, yeah, and how yeah. close you are. If you have a bunch of small animals and pets, do you want to back your backyard to back up to a railroad? Mm -hmm. No, you're going to be have worried about your dog getting on the tracks and getting like seeing that yeah, when, when when they would you know you can't use this comp because it's on the other side of even when we used yeah. to do BPO sometimes they'll say explain yeah. why you use the comp on the other side of the freeway yeah. and like you said I'm like it's the exact same market yeah. the freeway doesn't matter right. that market was there before the freeway actually <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. so. I do want to go back and touch on something real quick because we also have a lot of investors that watch this. Well, sellers, too. Um, there is a such thing as over-improving your property. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And you can spend money that you'll never get back. Absolutely. So some things you're just going to do for your personal use. Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. So I just feel like, I'm sorry, I just feel like some improvements people have, to, it's kind of like that basement you were talking about. Yeah. We buy things all the time, whether it's cars, jewelry, shoes, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like we spend a lot of money and then when we put it into our house, we expect to get it all back. And it's kind of like... Not necessarily. You're probably just doing that for yourself. Right. Oh, you I, know what I mean? I have a good example of a house for that. Remember when granite just started getting popular oh, yeah, right after 2000, right? Another house actually was in Clinton Township to this. One house I went into, they bought a ranch and they floored the entire house in black sparkly granite. <laughs> <laughs> the entire house. 
bedrooms <laughs> and, and everything. Oh and she was, bra- the homeowner was bragging about how much she spent on it. And I'm just like, oh my God, every person who comes through here is going to be like, how much is it going to cost me to yeah, bust yeah, this up and get this out of here? Yeah. <laughs> and um, I don't remember how it went in the appraisal, but that was a good example. Yeah. Um, and I, mean, I, I want to say she said she spent like 50 grand or something, some insane number for that floor. And most people are going to look at that house and be like, Give me a sledgehammer, mm-hmm. please. Yeah, right. hammer, and let's get this out of here. Right? Um, I would say some of the areas that you cannot go wrong with, if you do them um, economically and appropriately, is adding bathrooms. Um, you need a toilet on every floor of the house that people spend time in. Right. So if you're unfinished basement, nobody uses it, and you have a first floor laundry, you know, don't worry about no a, a toilet in your basement. But if you have a finished basement, at least have a half bath down there, what we call a lav, um, mm-hmm. with sink and a toilet. Uh, you cannot go wrong by adding a toilet on, or at least a half bath on every single floor of the house. Um, in the bungalows in Royal Oak, I would like to tell people, yeah, your best bet to spend your money, if you have your typical three-bedroom bungalow, you know, give or take 1,100 square right. feet, one bedroom upstairs, two in a bath on the main floor. Your best bet is first to put a bathroom in upstairs before you do it downstairs you will get money back. Um, the upstairs bath, you'll get back every dime as long as you're realistic with your expenses. I mean, if you put in a $50,000 bathroom, you're probably not going to get much of that back. Right. right. But if you put in that second floor bath and you spend under ten grand, you are going to get that money back. And then Where are you getting a second floor bath for ten grand? <laughs> Don't call me for that. Because <laughs> that's what I was about to ask you. So I was about to say that because I have a lot of people. I have uh, somebody right now. People always want me to build. They they're looking for bathrooms everywhere. Right. Right. Yeah. I always say there's you can never have too many bathrooms mm-hmm. and you can never have too many closets. Okay. Mm-hmm. But so you, first of all, you know, I don't know where. I mean, maybe a half bath for ten thousand dollars, depending. Um, oh. But um, if you're p- trying to put a full bathroom upstairs mm-hmm. in where there was either a bedroom where there was no plumbing at. Right. You're gonna spend easy. You're gonna spend over ten ten thousand easy, right? right? Yeah. But you you're know, not getting that. That's what you say. You on four on plumbing alone. Yeah, but but you're yeah. not getting. But you you know like we just talked about. You can't give. You're not giving them ten thousand dollars back in an appraisal. I would. Oh, would you? On a royal bungalow. Oh no no. Oh, I'm yeah, talking. Absolutely. I'm sorry. I'm talking about in a in a two hundred thousand dollar Detroit. Uh, neighborhood, two hundred to three hundred thousand. Well, and and you it don't goes by that I mean, market of that neighborhood. Yeah, that's what I'm, that's price what, point. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. But price I, I feel like it's a lot spent in certain areas in Detroit because, like, even yeah. like in in Rosedale Park, where we did one, you're going if you put in extra bathrooms in them neighborhoods that didn't have those bathrooms. So you got what two. Two thousand square, yeah. square foot, and, and you, you got, got one bathroom. And the home saw like two fifty, yeah. but you didn't get your money back. So I'm talking about, and I'm I'm talking about from well, a flip standpoint as well. Right. You're not getting your money. You're I've, you're going to sell full it. bathrooms for less than ten grand, a lot less. I actually did one bathroom for less than five thousand recently. Uh, what year? Um, yeah, 90, it wasn't recent. It was. Oh, okay. It wasn't that far back. It was um, 2015. Oh, oh that was yeah. the way. That yeah. was far back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you are not getting any back from them for me for, I for five thousand dollars in the trades too. Yeah, so. that's yeah. the difference. Yeah. You were doing your own work. You said. No, yeah. she had friends. No, oh, I, I, oh, I yeah. have, yeah. But I she knew a, a bunch of, of yeah. she knew a bunch of shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, but I'm talking about from an investor standpoint, it's not happening. So you just explain why. So I had somebody today. They want me to put a, a half bath off of the kitchen, and they want me to put a full bathroom okay. upstairs. Yeah, right? but some things, even though I don't adjust for them. They contribute to the overall marketability and appeal and will mm-hmm. change the choice of comparables that we right. pull from when we're going to do the appraisal. So this right. is where, and a lot of people see it just from the one angle. Mm-hmm. Well, is it, am I going to get the exact dollar for dollar? Or are they going to make that size of an adjustment? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. You put those extra bathrooms in, then I'm choosing comparables that have also have those extra bathrooms in. And guess what? Those are probably selling for a lot more than the houses that don't have the plumbing. Plumbing sells. Mm-hmm. Closets sell. No such thing as too many of either, and if you have too many bathrooms because you don't want to clean them, you're more than likely can afford to pay somebody to clean those right. toilets. So um, I always say plumbing is a, one of the best areas to invest in in your house. Gotcha. I can't right. wait till my closet get here. <laughs> <laughs> Who's doing your closet? I'm just having another one. I have my master closet built out by um, 
I'm not going to say their name because they ain't paying me for promotion. But um, <laughs> they're going to come back and do my main floor closet. That one in between the family room and the kitchen. Mm-hmm. It's just a large, it's, a, it's a already a large. So you got to knock down walls to do it? Uh-uh. It's a oh, big, okay. cl- I, like, we were talking about using it for a bedroom. But it's a nice space. And it just would be nice if it were um, a completely built out space. Okay. Adding more storage. More ability to store things. Yeah, you can't, it doesn't, nobody ever complains that they have too much storage. Yeah. Or too many right. bathrooms. Storage and organized. Yep, yep. But one another feature that's coming popular that um, I did this just because out of sheer laziness um, in my farmhouse, <laughs> I had a first floor laundry there. Um, I had about 2,000 square feet on the main floor and a first floor laundry when I bought it. And then there was one big room upstairs with a half bath um, and then a big area of unfinished attic. I gutted that bathroom, a half bath, and I made it a full bath. And then I made myself, finished off that attic space, added about 200 square feet and of closet. So I, it was awesome. I, I, I was like, it was a to die for closet. But I also put in a washing machine and dryer right in my closet, um, which the joke about it was is right next to the washer and dryer, there was a big cabinet. And I'm like, even though the washer and dryer is still in my closet right here, Next to the hangers, I still always had piles of clothes on that cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> that's, anyway, that's but uh, you can't go wrong that in the higher end price bracket, putting house. washer and dryer in a closet is is going to be a big thing coming up. So mm-hmm. what I'm what I'm hearing a, a good idea is because like, like you get a lot of investors and they call us after they did the rehab, right? Um, it sounds like, or even with your home sellers, before they make these major improvements, they need to talk to either a realtor or an appraiser, probably an appraiser first to say how much value add with this ad or what type, will I get my money back, yes. basically? I, okay. I do offer um, consultations and ARV appraisals as well. Okay. If somebody has just bought a house and they're like, well, where, what can I do to this property to get my biggest bang for my buck? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I do offer those services as well. Okay. So we yeah. just got our second warning. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> give, give her, uh, give her, uh, let them know where they can find you for those uh Oh, you can reach out to me directly. My okay. I, I work at uh, KW Metro with okay. Reggie, um, right. my office there. I do my appraisal work out of that office as well as my real estate sales. Right. You can uh, call me at 586-481-6260. You can reach out to me uh, via email at robertasocia.com. That's R-O-B-E-R-T-A-S-O-C-I-A at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to me on Facebook. All right. That's a wrap. That's a wrap.